Chapter 53, The Darien National Park, Panama, Search for the Great Green Macaw We were finally leaving for the Darien, the last frontier in Panama and the largest tract of tropical rainforest remaining in Central America. One could fly there, but we were going to take a 10-hour combined bus and boat journey. I was keen to leave as early as possible, but the driver Boris didn't show. I walked down to the stables to find him fixing a big horse truck. Today was a national holiday, which I guess is why he hadn't left early to take the kids to school. He did, however, have to go and buy some horse food, and he said he would give us a lift into the city. We'd missed the 7.15am bus, and we had to wait around for 8.30. We got good seats in the front of the old US school bus and prepared ourselves for the long ride. It was pretty uneventful, apart from half a dozen police roadblocks where the police asked to see our passports, which they passed between themselves and looked over each other's shoulders with curiosity at them. The Yavisa bus turned out not to go all the way to Yavisa, but stopped in a town called Meteti. After about six hours, and we had to climb in the back of a pickup truck for the remaining two and a half hour ride, along a dusty road with a strange mix of other passengers, an old woman with hairy legs and a permanent frown on her face, a young couple infatuated and all over each other, an old man that stared at us for the whole time, a large black man with a huge booming voice that left us quivering, an old woman with a rake that was jabbed in my side, and a couple of kids that stared at my girlfriend like she was an alien. The time went painfully slowly, and we were tired by the time we arrived in Yavisa, an eight and a half hour journey altogether. We found a guy with a boat, and he tapped us for some cash so he could go and buy some gasoline. We were soon on our way, enjoying a longboat ride, in which we had to help balance to make sure we didn't capsize. On the way, I saw a viridian dacnis high up in the trees on the river bank, a very rare and localised bird. El Real was a very friendly little town. We checked into the only hotel there, and went for a dinner at the only restaurant in town. We organised a guide for the next day and paid to get into the park. We then bought some supplies, as there was no food available inside. We also had a nice chat with a very friendly family that had gathered for Semana Santa, the Latin equivalent of Easter. We were all set. We'd arranged for our guide to come for us at 7am. We woke up with plenty of time, but the door to the hotel was still locked. The guy shouted for the young Chinese boy next door who worked there, but he didn't wake up. It was a flimsy little padlock on a flimsy little chain, and in the end I gave it a firm push and a link in the chain popped open. We stopped at the shop for a fizzy drink and a few biscuits before setting off on our four-hour trek to Rancho Frio, a ranger station in the Darien National Park. Our guide was called Ángel, a slim young black guy in jeans and smart shoes, not very guide-like. He did have a Darien National Park t-shirt on though, with a picture of a harpy eagle on the front, one of the birds I was hoping to find in the park. For some reason Ángel brought along his younger brother. The walk started in the open, then through secondary and finally into primary forest. There were quite a few fruiting trees along the way which the guy pointed out. One was called Marañón, which looked like an apple, with a big stone in the middle, and had some flesh somewhere between a pear and a peach. Another fruit was cacao, which was a dried yellow pod full of large seeds covered in lychee-like fruit that melted in your mouth. I stopped to look at birds quite a lot on the way, while the others kept on walking, so I kept having to run to catch up. I saw a tiny little flycatcher called a golden crown spadebill, which sat very still on a branch, occasionally giving a little trill that betrayed its presence. The most beautiful bird I saw was a golden collared mannequin, which hopped around on low branches, making the amazing wing-snapping sounds. It was hot and I had a heavy pack with all the food and water in, so I was exhausted by the time we arrived. The campsite had fairly decent facilities, but no electricity of course. 
The guy that worked there was a small wiry chap named Henry. He really liked birds and took me for a walk in the forest. My girlfriend was still feeling weak from her cold. In the late afternoon, a small group of great green macaws flew over the clearing. The first time in a while I've managed to see any threatened species. In the evening, we saw a fox that had come to scavenge at the rubbish dump next to the camp. Its eyes shone bright against my torch. I went off on my own for a few hours in the morning. I walked around a circular trail and turned off onto another that led up to some antennas several hours distant on Cerro Pire, where there were several interesting Darien endemics. I didn't catch everything Henry said, but it didn't sound like he recommended going all the way to the top. As I made my way slowly up the slope, I had troubled thoughts about coming across a nasty policeman or bandits. I only went on for a bit before heading back to check on my girlfriend. It had been a frustrating morning, and I'd seen very little. I'd heard macaws feeding in the top of a huge tree, but they were well hidden, and I got a really sore neck staring up. When we got back, a 14-year-old married indigenous couple had come to keep Henry company. Apparently the girl's mother had had her when she was just 11 years old, a fact that Henry found most amusing. The girl made us a nice lunch of rice, fried canned meat and fried bananas, which we were very grateful for and tasted absolutely delicious after eating just crackers and baked beans for a day. In the camp clearing there was good birding. Some interesting tanagers flew around the trees and occasionally we had parrots or raptors flying overhead. At one point I looked up to see a gigantic king vulture circling very close over our heads. I went for another long walk in the afternoon to try and get as far along the antenna trail and to as high elevations as I could. I walked fast and reached about 500 metres altitude before the trail started going steeply downhill. The highland species started about 600 metres, but I didn't have time to go any further. I'd have to save those species for another trip. Maybe when I'm rich I'll go to Kana on the other side of the mountains, which cost at least a couple of thousand dollars to stay just a few days. I'd seen a few parrots flying over, but finally spotted a mealy Amazon with its distinctive white eyering hiding in the thick foliage of the trees. It stood still as I moved closer for a shot, but decided enough was enough and flew off calling loudly. When I got back in the evening, we had some nice rice cooked for us, which we ate with our tin of tuna and vegetables. The young wife was cooking topless, which didn't seem to bother her, but it made me feel a bit awkward. I really like this place, and Henry's been a breath of fresh air, knowledgeable but not overconfident, and always wanting to learn new things. Admirable at the age of fifty. After dark I pointed out to him an owl call that he didn't know, and we ran off in the forest with our torches for an hour to try and find it. The others wondered what had happened to us. We read that chloroquine-resistant malaria was in the area, but Henry assured us that there was no malaria around here. There were a few mozzies anyway, which was a relief. During the night I did get eaten alive by bedbugs, though. I wanted to get another morning's birding in the park before we left, and Henry said it was okay for us to leave about ten. I tried a different path from before that led up an isolated hill. It was completely different from yesterday and I saw a lot of new birds. The walk back to town with Henry was also really good. We went really slowly and birded the whole way. So refreshing to walk with a guide that stops for birds. I saw several hummingbird species including a pale-billed hermit with a long bill and a long tail singing constantly from its perch. Henry mentioned on the way that at low tide in Real boats couldn't leave. There was a boat at 4.30pm and I thought we should try for that just in case we couldn't leave the following day. After leaving late and taking it really slow we were now rushing like mad. My girlfriend was really pissed off that I hadn't planned better. We got back into town and found out that it was actually low tide and that it would be high in the morning. There was no need to have rushed. I treated Henry to a fizzy drink and then we went for dinner at the only restaurant in town. We met up again with him later on and he told us about some boats for tomorrow. 
I'd already paid him for being guided in and out of the park, but I wanted to give him a little extra, which he ran straight off to buy a beer with. From our bedroom we heard people shouting and cheering from a cockfight across the street. It was quite a place as town. It was our last night in the Darien. Trying to find out about boats had been a pain in the neck. In the end I'd found out that this guy across the road from our hotel had his own boat and would give us a ride in it to Yavisa. From there he also had another truck in which he would give us a lift to Meteti, where he was going. The guy's boat looked pretty swish, and very different indeed from the hollowed-out log that we'd arrived in. Despite its looks, though, it kept conking out on us, and I wasn't even sure if we were going to make it. With some emergency maintenance, it finally got there, and we got in the guy's truck at the other end. I think he was running late for an appointment, and he drove like a maniac along the bad gravel road, almost skidding off a couple of times. I said I would give him the same that I would pay on public transport, which is $8 each, but we arrived a lot earlier and more comfortable than we would have done on public transport. From Meteti, we caught a bus all the way back to Panama City, on which the only point of interest was where we had to stop at a health department malaria checkpoint. They seemed to be taking blood samples from everybody on the bus. I couldn't see if they were using a clean needle or not, and I was a bit worried about HIV infection. I ran to the back of the bus and pulled out my malaria pills, which I showed to the guy, and thankfully he nodded and waved us on. We were back in Panama City by 5pm, and called Boris, who told us that the car was still broken, and we'd have to catch a bus back to the finca. It was dark by the time we got to Chilibre, and we were really tired after a long journey. At the crossroads in Chilibre, we talked to a taxi driver to negotiate a price back to the finca. Just then, Boris's wife ran over. They'd been waiting for us. When we got back to the house, I wasn't feeling well. I think it was the water that I had at lunch. She cooked some dinner for us, but I had no appetite. My birding in Panama, and indeed Central America, was over. I'd fallen just under my target of 400 species for Panama, but we had reached 900 species for our trip so far. 